The University of Texas really leaned into the purported axiom of everything is bigger in Texas when it comes to honoring their best athletes. As you walk into the University of Texas Athletics Hall of Fame, the first thing you see is this massive statue of Bevo. It's, it's a big one. They've set up a camera above the metal version of the Texas mascot so you can take your picture with the steer. So I did. In one wing of the Hall of Fame, you find Big Bertha, the massive bass drum. And as you glide over here, not very far away from that, you find a big statue. And that big statue is of Earl Campbell. And right below that massive hulking statue of a big running back, you find Earl's Heisman Trophy that he won in 1977. Campbell is reverenced in the Lone Star State. My father's an official state hero here. This is Tyler Campbell. We have four official state heroes. There's Sam Houston, there's Stephen F. Austin, and there's Davy Crockett. And the fourth and only living legend we have, as declared by our state legislature in downtown Austin, is Earl Campbell. Tyler thought he might follow in his father's football footsteps. I'm somebody who grew up in Austin, Texas, uh, played for the notorious Westlake High School in football, you know, state championships, all that stuff, a lot of history. And being from here, nobody could ever figure out why in the world would Earl Campbell's son, NFL Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner, got University of Texas in your backyard, you've grown up, you've gone to all the games, you even took your recruiting visit going out there. Um, why in the world would you not go to UT? Tyler's journey of self-discovery outside of the shadow of his father and of the University of Texas not only helped him, but so many others. I recognize that I'm impacting more people on a greater scale than a pigskin could have ever done for me. So for me, it's I'm scoring, I'm having a Hall of Fame career, I'm making myself memorable in a different way. Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. In this episode, we're focusing on the Texas Longhorns. Daryl K. Royal is football royalty at the University of Texas. The school's football stadium has his name plastered on it. The former Longhorns coach impacted the lives of so many players, like Earl Campbell. A decision at the end of Royal's life could impact so many more people in the future. But first, how Tyler Campbell's no-quit attitude led him to influencing others, even if the Austin native didn't play for the University of Texas. When I met up with Tyler in the capital city of Texas, I was a bit surprised. His address was not far from where I was staying in downtown Austin, where skyscrapers tower over the city. But just to the north of all the high-rise buildings is a quaint neighborhood with plenty of old homes. Many have been refurbished and serve as offices for different businesses. That's kind of what I walked into on this sweltering summer day. So they're kind of refacing the house and repainting the house today. The one thing that always catches people's eyes, like you got this great nice door, but it doesn't fit with the paint job on the <laughs> The Campbell family rents the home for business purposes. If my dad ever needs to come in for an office and have a private conversation, it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. Like if you need a, a need a home to store something in, then it's here. But the people who visit Earl Campbell are as legendary as he is, at least in the world of pro and college football. If you need to have like a private meeting where you've got Tony, Tony Dorsett and Gail Sayers, like they used to come in and bump Phillips and people like, you know, that and they don't want to be downtown and you just want to pop in and just relax 
with each other here and not be bothered, nobody would ever know that they're here. And if you pass by it, you would never know the stuff that is on the inside of it. The house is like a sports and pop culture memorabilia museum. Jim Brown signed my ball, that meant a lot. So that is the only item that I have that is signed by Jim Brown. This jersey right here, is this your? Yeah, it's, it's dad's, uh, dad's jersey signed to me, actually. Okay. And I wanted this one because uh, you don't see any black and orange jerseys. The black jersey with the burnt orange lettering. And so I wanted that one because everybody has burnt orange ones, but I have a black and an orange one and signed by him. And those are the stadium seats uh, from the Astrodome. Uh, my dad made sure to go get stadium seats when they were auctioning and gutting the Astrodome. He loves Mike Tyson, okay? So he's got his autograph of Mike Tyson standalone. But this, Matthew McConaughey, the actor that everybody loves now, when he was down here in Austin, because, you know, coming from this area uh, and in school, he used to wait on tables at a restaurant called Jazz way back in the day. My dad would always come down, go eat down there, then come home, take us as kids down there. Tyler has some memorabilia of his own. I nailed my degree up there. You know, I, there was a space there. Look, there, there, there's a space here in the corner. You know what I'm saying? My brother already had something up top. I was like, let me let me steal a space. <laughs> no, I'll put the little bit of red and black on there where nobody can see it. Tyler received his bachelor's degree from San Diego State. He also played football for the Aztecs, so he has his jersey framed. Earl encouraged his kids to play sports, but he didn't want Tyler to play football. He just wanted us to have a regular childhood. He wanted us to be kids. He wanted us to just like not always be on a pedestal compared to him. And if we played football, we wouldn't have that opportunity. But I didn't play because of my dad. I played it because of my friends. Uh, he said, are you sure you want a drink of that cup? He's like, are you sure that's what you want? I know your friends want to do it, but are you sure that's what Tyler wants? And I said, yes, that's what I, that's what I want to do. I want to play football. And, he was, and once, he, once I said that, he was all in to support. Earl coached Tyler in the nuances of being a good running back, and the younger Campbell started to flourish. School, it flipped and turned. I got hurt my sophomore year, my junior year. I excelled, and before I know it, I'm the number two running back in, this, in the state of my junior class. Adrian Peterson was number one. Tyler started to receive football scholarship offers from all over the nation. Texas A&M University, University of Texas, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Notre Dame, which was very high on the list where Tyrone Willingham was the coach at that particular time, uh, Missouri. Tyler didn't know how to handle all of the attention. He started putting pressure on himself. Everybody going into a, a stadium and everybody knows who you are. They know your number, they know the last name, they know the trash talk that's coming, and you're one of the few African-Americans on your team. So socially, a, a young man who's very much trying to find himself, an identity for himself, I learned to cope with what I was dealing with via alcohol. And obviously my parents did not teach that, my family did not teach that. That was my mistake, and it ended up ultimately costing me because um, I got ended up bust, getting busted at the age of 16 for underage drinking. Tyler was suspended from school and ended up in the alternative education system for several weeks. It happened during a prime time for college football recruiting. Earl made Tyler call each college football program that was interested in him. And I had to tell them what I got in trouble for. If they picked up, great. If they didn't, my dad made me made sure that I, I left messages letting everybody know that, Tyler, I got in trouble with the police. I won't be attending your camp. 
I won't be attending any rivals camps. Uh, I'm going to be here in Austin trying to just get my life back together academically, socially, and freeing myself from from alcohol. And and it was like every time I left messages, I really felt like I was speaking my future away. That was the first time I ever felt like I was reaching in my little 16-year-old world, right? The lowest of the low because football had stopped. Embarrassment of my family had picked in. And then I was sitting in church at Mount Olive Baptist Church where our family went to church at. And, and I, I don't even remember how I got from the last pew in the church to the front of the church. You had to, you know, tell everybody what you're feeling and, and why you feel like it's time. What I remember is just the microphone in front of my face. And do you remember what you said? Yeah, absolutely. I, I let everybody know uh, that I had just gotten in trouble. I made one of the worst mistakes in my life. I told the younger kids, you know, learn from my mistakes in the church. I said, I know the Lord. I've grown up here in this church, and I still fumbled and, and made a mistake. I apologized to my mother and my father, and I said, I know that it's now, now time because everything of the world that I thought I needed, turns out it was never for me in general, and I need a hand. And the only person who can really help me with this is the Lord because I was at the bottom of the bottom and nothing Tyler was doing was working. And there were a lot of tears shed during that time. Tyler hoped that all his good deeds on the field would make up for his teenage mistakes. It didn't turn out that way. All of my offers depleted. I, I, the last one I had during my, junior se- my senior season was Baylor University. And I even had an in-home visit. I said, if I can give me two more days just so I can think on it. I called Baylor and they said, Tyler, we just had a running back commit. We have no scholarships available left for running backs. And that was the last scholarship. I was the only kid out of the Texas top 35 that didn't sign a letter of intent. And then people were really like, well, why don't you just walk on at UT? And I was still like, I'm not doing that because I got to find myself. So here I am at the bottom of the barrel. I have good grades. I could get into school academically off of grades. And I still told them, like, I, I need to grow up. I need to get somewhere far away from here and, and be on my own. So even at the worst of my worst, I still, I still didn't want to go to UT. I love the school, but, but I, just, I just needed to go somewhere different. <laughs> Tyler headed west. He wanted to play for San Diego State since they showed interest in him out of high school. But the Aztecs didn't have scholarships available, so he decided to play for Pasadena City College. I remember getting there and I saw that Jackie Robinson had went to Pasadena City College. And I, I remember seeing his bust and his statue and I said, oh my gosh, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Jackie Robinson went to a junior college first before going to UCLA. And from junior college, I finally got to San Diego State University. The reason why that scholarship opened up was because a young man who had a, a running back scholarship got in trouble for the exact same thing that I got in trouble with as he was getting ready to leave for his senior year to come to state. And I didn't quit, and because I didn't quit, I got a scholarship just a year later after I had hoped to have it. <laughs> The Campbell no-quit attitude would serve him well at San Diego State. Coming up next, Tyler's tough battle with a debilitating disease. Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. I'm Cleon Wall. Tyler Campbell, son of Football Hall of Fame Texas running back Earl Campbell, has his San Diego State jersey proudly displayed in an office in Austin and he had an award sitting in front of it. 
I got into school later than everybody else. Um, so I missed a lot of camp. Uh, I was redshirted immediately and I got the scout team player of the year. And that meant a lot to me because I was playing against first team defense for the whole year. And that was when I knew I could play division one college football. Cause you always wonder, am I good enough? What will D1 football be like? And so I know it's not glorious for a lot of people, but for me in terms of knowing that God was taking care of me, um, that was special. A change in head coaches at SDSU led to a change in offensive philosophy. The Aztecs switched from a one-back offense to a two-back offense. None of our running backs were really, you know, on the, they weren't wired fullbacks, right? And so for me, I just, I just wanted to play. So I played fullback and, uh, and special teams. Like I, I, I mean, that was, that was new to me, but I just love, I love playing the game. And there's no stats for playing fullback. There's no stats for making a good block on an ISO. There's no stats for making a good cut block on the outside where a running back knifes past you and gets a first down. There's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no stats for being a lead blocker on a, on, a, on a rollout passing play for a quarterback. But I was playing. You know, I was playing and I didn't, I didn't like it. I felt like I could always play running back, but that wasn't, I felt at that time I'd accepted that that's not what God had wanted for me. He continued to play fullback into his junior season. San Diego State capped it off with a 48-27 loss to BYU. I woke up the next morning, no issues, no concussions, no injuries, no nothing. I just woke up and I couldn't walk and I couldn't talk when I got out of bed at close to five in the morning. So I, I had to yell for help. I couldn't talk and enunciate my words because I had developed a stutter because the, the left side of my brain was just captured with lesions that I didn't know. And I walked into the doctor's office at La Jolla Scripps Memorial and I go in there and there's pictures of brain diagrams all over the, and I'm like a lot of elderly people there. And, and I'm like, oh, and the, I sit down for my appointment. I'll never forget, an elderly woman said, what are you doing here, son? You're too young to be here. And at that point in life, I knew this was gonna be a, a tough visit. And so I got diagnosed with MS after a spinal tap and MRIs and it was very quick. You would think that would be the end of Tyler's college football career. But think back to the Campbell family ethos. A Campbell never quits. Like I, 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 I signed a letter of intent as a scholarship to play a football game, which means I gave a commitment to my teammates and the university that I would give my best to suit up and get an education. And so MS, whatever this is, that's a part of it. Whether I like it or not, this is my journey. And so there was never a thought of not playing. Was it the hardest thing I've ever done in my life? Absolutely. He didn't know it at the time, but Tyler became the first ever college football player with multiple sclerosis. He didn't tell many people of his diagnosis, including the coaching staff. And I remember my coaches asking me like, are you feeling okay? We see something on film, like this doesn't look like you. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll get it handled and you'll never see that again. What was it like for you as you were trying to be a student and a student athlete and trying to keep up with the rest of your team. Scary, it's very scary. Cause I always feared that getting out of bed again and being in a wheelchair again. I always feared that. I feel like it, today could be the day, it could happen at any time. Constant fatigue. So what I did was I lifted more weights. I tried to lift more weights. I tried to do two a days on my own because I, my speed was decreasing. My, my flexibility was going downhill. I even had memory issues. 
I would forget plays. So, why mow to bunch left Al Pacino, all right? No lie, I would, I would forget plays, and the only things that would help me would be looking at the butt of offensive linemen and looking at stances at times. If I knew, I could tell by the, the blocking schemes, right, uh, being in a two-point stance or in a three-point stance because I could see everybody's weights on their hands. So I got really good at really being instinctive with the game. Tyler's senior season was his best statistically. He ran for 152 yards, including 41 against BYU. And from that moment on, my coach, I always joked with him, I said, you just waited too late. But things went downhill after his NFL Pro Day. I had uh, a lot more issues with being in a wheelchair. Like the disease got really, really bad, mm. which made me drop football. My mom came out there, she got me, she fed me, she bathed me. I was laying on my stomach to eat. She did everything, football didn't work. I've got to learn how to get myself healthy. I don't want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I want to be able to walk. I want to be able to get out of speech therapy. I want to be able to grip a pencil. I want to be able to grip a, a fork and, and feed myself. So how do I begin this next chapter of my life? And let's go home to do it in Texas and just try to spend the next couple of years getting it together. Tyler started physical therapy and a Longhorn legend joined him in his endeavors. My dad would take me to physical therapy, which is really, really cool. Uh, he was learning how to walk again from his injuries, and I was learning how to get out of a wheelchair. So we kind of saw each other at the same rate of speed. I was dealing with MS, and he was just dealing with post-football. Tyler then became a patient advocate for people with multiple sclerosis. I.e., I think that's what, that was a light bulb. It just went off. That's all God wanted me to do was he had to give me something so I could tell my story to help other people with it and make sure that he gets the glory out of it. So started traveling the country and speaking in corporate offices and businesses and schools at the age of 24, you know, um, and found out that I actually love it. I, 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 I get the same juice out of it as game day. Campbell is a busy guy. He's married with three kids, has his own radio show, written a book, and is an inspirational speaker. And if you looked at him, you would never know that he has MS. But Tyler still struggles with the autoimmune disease. It's not ever the same. Even when you're in remission, it's, you don't get back what was gone most of the time. When it's gone, it's gone. Having the children, having the kids, uh, you know, I get fatigued a lot quicker. And then the memory issues. I don't know how in the world I'm a speaker, but all I can say is all grace to him because I, I get on the microphone and, and it works. So there are things that it leaves its scars, but I am here, we're having a conversation, and hopefully somebody will be blessed because of the interview. Tyler doesn't want anyone to quit online. I can't allow somebody else who's my brother, my sister on this earth to give up on themselves. Because if you never quit, you never lose. All I've done, Cleon, is just not quit. There's no magic to it. There's no money. There's no fitness plan. There's no five steps to doing this or eight steps to doing that. I just didn't quit. And life knocked me down plenty of times, and it still does, and I just choose to get up. He gave me a divine opportunity, the same with you, to make a choice. Each and every day, we get to choose. And I choose life. So if you choose life, how can you lose? Coming up next, a man who won a lot of football games at Texas leaves a lasting legacy.
You are listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. There are trophies and statues galore at the University of Texas Athletics Hall of Fame. Trophies of all the conference championships won and also the national championships won. And as you continue on back towards what would be the football field, you find a statue of Daryl K. Royal, who also happens to be the namesake of this stadium. The statue is of him walking with a jacket on, the UT logo on the left breast. He almost looks like he's observing a practice or guys warming up before a game. There's a huge video board celebrating Texas's big wins in football. A lot of the championship trophies are out so that people can see them and get up close and personal with them. But there are four national championship trophies in football that are behind glass. Three of those trophies were won by Daryl Royal in 1963, 1969, and 1970. Royal truly is royalty in Austin, but he wasn't ostentatious. Uh, what was the name of that show? He was humble in a lot of ways. This is Daryl's son, Sammy Mac Royal. He, he never wanted to be flashy. He never wanted to talk about himself so much but he was a hell of a good coach. Daryl Royal lived quite a life on and off the field. And on this hot summer day, Sammy and his nephew, David Kazan, pulled out old scrapbooks to reminisce on their dad and granddad's life. I've seen pictures of movies of him playing football. If he saw a line of defenders in front of him, he would lower his head and ram them as hard as he could just to punish them for being there. And sometimes he would break through. You know, he was the passer, the kicker, the quarterback. Like if you were gonna play a game of golf with him, you needed to be, you need to get with it. You need to be very speedy because he would run through the course uh, faster than everybody else. I went to see my parents one time and here comes Willie Nelson out of the front door wearing a tuxedo. And that was the first time I met him. His house had burned down in Nashville, and Daryl said, why don't you move to Austin? I know why people considered him a very good friend, because if you were a fr friend of Daryl Royal, I mean, you knew it. You, kn you just knew it, and, and uh, his friendship, I think, was probably as legendary as his coaching. In 1996, the University of Texas decided to do something about Daryl's legendary coaching. He was still an employee of the University of Texas. He thought that out in his uh, social life or somewhere along the line had done something wrong because he had been called into this meeting. And, uh, and he thought, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for something. And so they end up saying, well, you know, we're thinking about renaming the stadium. And he says, yeah, okay. And uh, so they tell him, well, we want to name it after you. We, we want to keep Memorial Stadium on it as well, but it'll be the DKR Texas Memorial Stadium. Um, and he's sitting there listening, and he says, mm-hmm, okay. And they're looking at him, and he's looking at them, and there's this dull pause for a while, 
And he says to them, are, are you asking me if I approve? And they said, well, sort of, yeah, we kind of are. And he says, well, hell yes. Nobody gets their name on a, on a stadium or anything of that size uh, unless they're either dead or truly, truly, truly a good person because nobody wants in today's world to have any regrets about... I know he must have been a formidable character and a leader and someone who provided great inspiration to young men. This is Debbie Hanna. I have met and talked to guys whose hands are as big as a dinner plate. And when I start talking about Coach Royal, they get tears in their eyes and um, they have to swallow a little bit before they talk or give me a hug and tell me how wonderful they think it is that we're doing what we're doing. She is the president of the Daryl K. Royal Research Fund. They help raise money for Alzheimer's research. It's just very hard to make advances. And when I started working as a volunteer for an Alzheimer's organization in Austin, um, the last drug that was approved for Alzheimer's occurred and John Ashcroft was attorney general and George W. was in his first term. And so the advances have been very slow and um, not too successful. And so I would like to think that um, people should be able to age with dignity and respect. The royal family is familiar with the disease because Coach Royal was diagnosed with it late in his life. Former players flocked to Royal to take him out to lunch and get one last visit with him. So he would uh, sit on the bench when lunch was over out at the park parking lot and somebody, Johnny Janung, one of his former quarterbacks, would go get the car. And of course, people would come out and see him and put their, oh, can we take your picture? Put, can you hold my grandson in your lap and let him put his horns up? So um, it, it, his cognitive decline was pretty profound. And uh, evidently one day after all of this, he gets in the car and he looks at John Janung, a retired surgeon, and he said, uh, Johnny, uh, was I a football player? And Johnny said, yes, yes, coach, you were. And he said, I really hope I was a good one. And he said, you were. Towards the end of his life, as his condition, cognitive condition declined, uh, people would talk from time to time about, you know, we should get Daryl and Edith involved in Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative research. And, um, we were all just kind of hesitant to go there. And so one day a friend just approached Mrs. Royal after um, Coach had really shown significant decline and said, um, we'd like to be able to use his name. We think we can do some important things. And she said, okay, let me talk to him about it. So she went, they were already in, he was in an assisted living environment at that point. And she went and visited with him and said, what do you think? And he said, it works. In 2012, Daryl and his wife Edith went to the state capitol to announce the creation of the fund. We had Mrs. Royal, Coach Royal, and uh, Lance Armstrong and Matthew McConaughey. And uh, Coach Royal himself creates, even though he was quite elderly, creates quite a stir, you know, when he is in the general public. Coach was not going to speak. And uh, we certainly didn't expect him to. Coach had a mic in front of him, and so he just leaned towards the mic, and 
everybody in the room just froze because when you're around someone with cognitive decline or dementia, you have no idea what they're going to say or do. And he just leaned forward and he said, I love this room. I love this building. It makes me happy when I'm here. It was a really touching moment. So um, as they were exiting the Capitol, uh, it, the Senate chamber, to go back to the lieutenant governor's meeting room just to have a little the meeting and thank some people, uh, somebody hollered, uh, uh, let's see your horns. And Coach Royal put his horns up, and that went all over the world in the news the next day. And it was a wonderful day. Daryl Royal died later that year, but the influence from the research fund lives on. We started a study called CLEATS. The researchers study aging male and female college athletes who've never played any uh, professional or even been uh, contracted to play professional sports, both collision and contact sports, so women and men. And uh, the idea of the study is to enroll athletes over the age of 50 and study their um, health, well-being, and, co and cognitive process. We fund young researchers, um, and they're just tickled when they get the check and the money. And if we help two or three researchers or 10 that end up um, bringing information that will help even plateau diseases, I know Coach Royal would be proud of his money being used that way. Coach Royal's grandson, David Kazan, sits on the research funds board. I'm proud. I'm, I'm a proud grandson, um, but I'm a fortunate grandson. To me, being the grandson of Daryl K. Royal, it means a lot of things. It's great to see the world. It's great to see celebrity. It's great to see accomplishments and to be appreciated for football and all the rest. But it's even greater to, to be as centered as they taught me to be. That's probably what it means to be the grandson of Daryl K. Royal as much as anything else. Is it, I, I was just taught um, to be fortunate, to, 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 be, to feel fortunate for what I have, to make the most of what I have, don't sit around and rest on it, um, and, and, and to help others. As David and Sammy Mac Royal were looking through pictures and documents from Daryl Royal's life, a letter of Sammy's was discovered. We asked him to read it. When I was maybe 11 years old, I was walking next to DKR down the sidewalk on Congress Avenue. I don't remember where we started or where we ended up. What I remember first is that I had to hustle to keep up with the man. He was always on a mission. I learned to walk fast. The main thing I recall is that he got stopped several times on every block we walked. Everyone wanted to say hello and chat. He stopped and talked like he hadn't just been on full speed ahead. <laughs> he gave them his total attention and treated them with great respect and cheerfulness. It didn't matter who they were or what their position was in life. They just loved him and wanted to shake his hand. Proud doesn't begin to cover it. Love doesn't seem like enough. It just makes me cry. 
about everything. Oh, is kidding me. Nobody on this planet has better parents. Thanks for listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. It's produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. Music and post-production by Kevin West. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to BYUSN.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio.